My name is Dave. Uh, I'm the senior pastor here at ACC. And I want to start out today, as we op- just before we open God's word together, I want to introduce you to two people in my life who are really important to me, okay? The first one I want to introduce to you is a guy by the name of Rod Stevenson. This is a picture of Rod and I from a reunion from two summers ago. Rod and I have known each other since high school. Now, the way we met is we took an art class together. And in this class, t- uh, students would set at big tables, there was four students to a table, and you would work on your art project. And because you're just working on an art project, there was plenty of time for chit chat. So you'd get to know the other students at your table really well. So I got to know Rod, we became friends in sitting at the same table in this art class. Well, one day Rod came in, sat down his pile of books on the table, and lo and behold, the top book on his stack was the the Satanic Bible. It was the Satanic Bible by Anton LaVey. And I tried to hold back my (laughs) alarm, you know, my alarm, my panic. And I was like, Rod, what's up with that book? Why why do you have that? And he said, well, I'm I'm looking to make changes. He said, I I feel like I need power in my life and I want to be a more powerful person. And I I think this could do it for me. And I gulped. And I thought to myself, I have what Rod's looking for, right? He's looking for Jesus Christ. He's looking for God to come into his life and give him the power to live the life he wants to live for the life change that he's looking for. And so I screwed up my courage and and I said, Rod, I don't think that's the answer. I don't think that's what you're looking for. You know what? You need to come with me to my youth group. If I picked you up, would you come with me to my youth group this week? And he was like, yeah, sure. Why not? And so I picked him up, brought him to youth group, and guess what? He loved it. He loved it. There were girls there, okay? (laughs) He loved it. There was basketball. He loved it. There was pizza. He loved it, okay? And he came with me, and he began listening. He began meeting other Christian students. And it was about six, eight weeks later that Rod and I prayed together and he crossed the line of faith, that he placed his trust in Jesus Christ. And it was the coolest experience for me. It was like one of the first people I ever had the opportunity to actually lead to the Lord. And it bonded us for a lifetime. And Rod's life was changed and he became a part of things. He became a leader. Uh, We went to Moody Bible Institute together and we were on the same dormitory floor. And now Rod's down in Bloomington and he's a leader in his church. And we don't get to see each other very much, but we are bonded for a lifetime because of the experience we had. And I love Rod. Now, let me introduce you to a second person. This is a dear woman. This woman is probably as dear to me as anyone that I know. Her name is Sandy Cope. Sandy moved into my neighborhood when I was 11 years old. She was a young bride, and she moved into our neighborhood, and she started a good news club in her home. 
It was a club where there were Bible songs, there was a Bible story, there was refreshments. And she went around and invited all the kids in our neighborhood to come to this after-school Good News Club. I think it met on Thursday afternoons after school. And I was excited. I decided to go. And there was a handful of other kids there, including my own brother. And I'll never forget the first week standing there, in her, sitting there in her living room. She, she explained the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, I'd grown up in the church, so I had heard like all the Jesus stuff and the Bible stuff for a long time, but no one ever connected the dots for me. No one ever said specifically how I should respond or what I should do. And I remember on the flannel graph, do you guys remember flannel graphs? They were fun. Like if you weren't being chased by a dinosaur, you could play on a flannel graph, okay? And on this flannel graph, she mapped out uh, the meaning of Revelation 3.20. And Revelation 3.20 is Jesus talking. And Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone would open the door and let me in, I will come in and have fellowship with them and you can have fellowship with me. And she explained that that door was the door of my heart and that Jesus was knocking on the door of my heart. And if I would open my heart to him and believe in him, I could have eternal life. And I knelt down on her living room floor on that spring afternoon, and I prayed to receive Christ. And I'll tell you what, of course I didn't fully realize all the implications of what I had just done, but I knew that what I had done was important. I knew that what I had done in praying with her uh, was sincere, and it changed my life, and it was the launch of my relationship with Christ, and it's made all the difference ever since. And as long as I live, I'll be... Um, forever grateful for Sandy, that as a, as a young woman, she moved into our neighborhood, had a vision to share Jesus with the neighborhood kids, and she shared um, Jesus with me. Um, I'm so grateful. Now, Sandy and Rod have a bond, don't they? Sandy and Rod have never met each other, but here's the deal. If I had never met Sandy then my connection with Rod would have never taken place. But because she was faithful and brought me to Jesus and enabled me to bring Rod to Jesus. And you see, that's the spiritual dynamic that Jesus intended, that down through the centuries, it's been all about creating disciples, not just converts. That we want to create people we want to reach out to people who will in turn reach out to people who will in turn reach out to people. And that's how Christianity has survived for the last 2,000 years. And so as we continue in the Gospel of John, here's what you're going to see. It's the launch of Jesus's public ministry. And he's beginning to form a ministry team. He's beginning to gather disciples. And so he gathers this ragtag group of guys through which he's going to change the world. And what we're going to see as we look at this passage of scripture is there's five things you ought to know as a follower of Christ. Whether you're thinking about following Christ or you're already in the process of following Christ, there's five things straight out of the mouth of Christ absolutely essential for us to know. So I'd like to read the passage of scripture. I'd invite you now, if you would please, to stand at the reading of God's word. Follow along in your own Bible or on the screen as I read. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. And just like that, John the Baptist's followers were subtracted by two. 
Hey, where are you guys going? You're my followers. Is that what John said? Nope. What John said was, I must decrease, he must increase. And this is the pivotal part at the very beginning of the gospel where the spotlight goes off of John the Baptist and goes on to Jesus. Where now Jesus' ministry is going public, he's becoming prominent, and John fades into the background and John's followers now transfer their loyalty to this rabbi named Jesus. And so, the two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying, and they remained with him the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, come, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathanael, can anything good come from Nazareth? Well, come and see for yourself, Philip replied. Now, as they approached Jesus, Jesus said, Now, here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How do you know about me? Nathanael asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Jesus asked him, Do you believe this just because I told you I'd seen you under the fig tree? you will see greater things than this. Then he said, I tell you the truth. You will all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. Let's pray. Father God, we ask this morning that you would help us think about, Father, where we're at in our spiritual journey. And Father, whether we're thinking about following you, we've just began to follow you, or we've been following you for years, I pray, Father, that you would help us to understand what we can learn from Jesus, that our hearts would be open and teachable. Uh, Father, we commit this time to you as we pray in uh, your son's name. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so here's the first thing we see from this uh, account. The first thing is this, that Jesus wants you to clarify your agenda. As you begin to follow Jesus, he wants you to clarify your agenda. I love how it's recorded in verse 38. Jesus looked around and saw these two creepy guys following him, you know? Now, in our modern vernacular, we might have turned around and said, what's up? Or you guys got a problem? But Jesus said, why are you following me? They were literally 
following him, right? They were literally following him. And so he says, why are you following me? Now, I want to suggest to you, the point that Jesus was making was he was asking them, what do you want from me? What are you seeking that you think you can get from me? In other words, clarify your agenda. Why are you trying to follow me? This wasn't for Jesus' sake, it was for their own. And I think it's a good question. I was a youth pastor. I worked with high school and junior high kids for years. And uh, every once in a while, somebody would come up to me and say, Dave, do you realize that so-and-so is only coming to youth group for the girls? We had a saying among our ministry team with our youth group. And the saying was this, come for the chicks stay for Jesus, okay? <laughs> but you could insert a number of different things. You could say, come for the basketball, stay for Jesus. Come for the pizza, stay for Jesus. The point to be made is we could care less what their initial motives were, right? We were just glad that they were there. Come for the girls, come for whatever you want. Don't care because this is what we learned real quickly, that whatever a person's motives were for entering into our faith community, over time, so many of them would come to trust Christ. Their lives would be changed. Their motives would become a little bit more noble, right? That their motives would shift just a little bit and, and they would become part of the spiritual family. And it was such a powerful dynamic. And so you think about your own journey. You think about the people in this room. Why are you following Jesus? Clarify your agenda. Maybe you could think about why did you first start following Jesus? So many different possibilities. Some people seek out Jesus because their marriage is a shambles and they're scared and they're looking for relational help. They're looking for something that can save their marriage. And so all of a sudden they're coming to church. All of a sudden they're reading their Bible. For some, what motivates them is a, a health crisis. They've gotten some scary diagnosis and they're, 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 filled with fear and they're looking for healing. They're looking for peace of mind and, and it's what brings them to first start following Jesus. For others, it might be a financial crisis they're going through. For others, it might be they're really struggling with loneliness or anxiety. Lots of different reasons, right? And so it doesn't matter what your motive is. Jesus welcomes you, okay? But, but that's part of the idea that Jesus says, as you think about it, why are you following me? That's a great question that we should each ask ourselves. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. You've probably seen it before, but he wrote this. He said, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. I love that. And that's really insightful. You know why? Because you can come to Jesus with a certain agenda and he may or may not deliver. You're not guaranteed healing. You're not guaranteed a saved marriage. You're not guaranteed that anxiety will go away forever, whatever it is. But what you are guaranteed is that Christ will meet you where you're at. He will embrace you and he will give you far more than you ever imagined. And he'll go beyond the symptomatic issues you're dealing with and go to your heart, the very core issues of what you need the most, namely forgiveness and a connection with the living God. 
And so I think it's a good exercise for each of us to kind of think about, okay, why am I following Jesus? Clarify your agenda. So that's the key question. What are you seeking from Jesus? Okay. I want you to think about that and I want you to be able to answer that. What are you seeking from Jesus? Okay. Second thing you need to know is this, that Jesus invites you into a relationship with him. Jesus invites you into a relationship. Um, Now, when Jesus turned around and saw these two guys following him and he said, hey, what do you guys want? Their answer was, where are you staying? They're like, where are you staying, Jesus? In other words, the request they had from Jesus is, hey, could we hang out? It was like, could we spend some time with you? Could we hang out maybe? And I think Jesus loved that answer. Once they clarified their agenda, I think Jesus loved it. And he was like, yeah, we can hang out. And so verse 39, he says, yeah, come and see. He said, let's hang out. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying and they remained with him the rest of the day. He had dinner together, no agenda, no set program, informal. It was very relational and it was life-changing. Jesus invites you into a relationship. And understand that being a follower of Christ isn't merely adherence to a set of beliefs or commitment to a church, but that Jesus wants to enter into a relationship with you, a friendship with you, a walk with you. And today we invite spiritual seekers to join our faith community. As people are looking for God, we're like, hey, come sing with us, come sit under the teaching of the word with us, Um, You could even volunteer and help out if you want, get to make some friends and get to know people, become part of our faith community and see what happens. And here's what we find in our day and age, in our postmodern, post-Christian society, what we find is this, that people cross the line of faith after they've been part of a faith community for a while. You see, the old paradigm, like a couple of decades ago and before that, was believe, then belong. In other words, there was the insiders and the outsiders. The insiders were in the church. The outsiders, the unbelievers were out there. And once they became Christians, once they maybe got their act together, then they could come to church and they could be part of the family and then they can start growing spiritually. But now what works in our culture, and we see it over and over again, is we invite those who don't know Christ to be with us, to be part of our faith community. And through the interaction, through the exposure, through the development of relationships, they eventually oftentimes come to Christ. And it's an amazing thing. And so while the old paradigm was belong, then believe, the new paradigm is belong, then believe. Do you see the difference? And that's really important. And that's why we need to embrace each other and we need to love each other and and understand that not everyone around us is necessarily a Christian yet. But they're open, they're interested, they're moving in that direction. And by being a part of our faith community, by loving them and not being judgmental of them and, and embracing them, that eventually through relationship, they come to know Christ as well. Now, they've done studies that have shown this. The average person needs to be a part of a faith community anywhere from nine months to 18 months before they cross the line of faith. So it's not an overnight thing. Now, it can be sometimes, but typically it takes a person nine to 18 months to have all their excuses um, dismantled and to have their hearts slowly open to the truth of Jesus, right? But once they've been loved and they've been experiencing worship and they've been experiencing teaching, um, 
one day they wake up and they're like, wait a minute, I'm one of those people now. You know, it just kind of snuck up on them often. Uh, but, but that's what happens because Jesus invites us in the relationship. Um, that's what he's looking for for each of us. So our invite to people is let's hang out. When people say, hey, can we hang out? We're like, hey, that's what it's all about. It's about relationship. Third thing you need to know is this. Jesus sees the potential in you. Jesus looks at you as you follow him and he sees your potential. Verse 42, looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. Cephas was the Aramaic name. The Greek name was Peter or Petros, and it would be translated rock or rocky. And so what you got to understand here is that Jesus was giving Simon a nickname, and he was saying, you've been called Simon up till now, but I'm giving you a nickname, and it's going to be rocky. That's a great nickname, right? I was called Stumpy all the time, okay? Rocky (laughs) is a much better name. Now, you got to understand what, by the way, I was never called Stumpy. So for those of you who thought it fit, that's not nice, okay? I just (laughs) totally made that up. But I guess I could have been. Anyway, here's the deal. Jesus was aspiring Simon to who he could be. At that time, Simon was anything but rocky. He was headstrong. He was stubborn. He was impetuous. He was unstable. He was unreliable in a lot of ways. He wasn't a rocky at all. But you see, Jesus looked beyond what he currently was like to what he would become. That Jesus saw the day would come that he would be a leader among leaders in the Christian movement, in the birth of the church. And so he aspired him to what he could become. And friends, what I want to tell you is this that if you met Jesus face to face, I think he'd have a nickname for you. I don't know what it would be, but here's what it would reflect. It would reflect the potential he sees in you. He would aspire you to greatness. He would aspire you to be a world changer. I know this was true in my own life, that Jesus had an aspiration for me. He He had a vision for me that I couldn't see. When I was in high school, I had a very specific call to go into vocational ministry. And I believe any job is ministry. I mean, I believe any job is sacred, whether you're a teacher or a lawyer or a butcher or whatever it is you are, right? But I had a specific call to vocational ministry. And when I had this sense that that's what God wanted me to do, I was terrified. And here's why. I thought to myself, this doesn't make any sense. Because first of all, I'm scared to death to speak in public. I can't possibly speak in public. And if you're going to go in the ministry, you have to do public speaking. And I can't do that. And the second thing was, I'm a Bible dummy. I don't know anything about the Bible. And, and if I had to go in the ministry, I'd have to know a lot about the Bible. Now, I know some of you are thinking right now, not much has changed, Dave, huh? Not much has changed, Okay. <laughs> But here's what my spiritual mentor told me at that time. He said, Dave, I remember how he phrased it. He said, Dave, God never calls a person to dig a ditch without giving them a shovel. And his point was, if God is calling you, he will equip you. 
Don't worry about what you think you have or don't have or what you think you can do or can't do. You just be obedient to God's call in your life. And as you follow him, he will equip you with whatever you need. He aspired me to things that I didn't see in myself. And some of you don't believe in yourself. Some of you don't have any belief that God can use you, that you can have genuine change in your life. And what I'm telling you is Jesus sees you. Jesus has a nickname for you. And it's because he realizes that your life can be different. The cliche of the day is this. The cliche of the day is the best ability is availability. Just show up. You may not see yourself the way Jesus sees you, but just be available. Just show up and Christ will do his work in your life. Okay, fourth thing I want you to see is that Jesus knows all about you. As you seek to follow him, he already knows all about you. Verse 47, as they approached Jesus, as they approached, Jesus said, now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How do you know about me, Nathaniel asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. It was common and kind of a custom in first century that a, um, a, a religious Jewish person would often meditate on scripture or read scripture while sitting under a fig tree. And so many Bible scholars believe that like uh, Philip was having his quiet time. He was like having his devotional time under this tree and Jesus envisioned him. Jesus could see him there worshiping God and learning from God's word. But you see, uh, not Philip, Nathaniel, sorry. Nathaniel wondered, how, how did Jesus know that? But you see, what, what, he, what he had to understand was Jesus knew all about him. Jesus knew all about him already. And that's true for us as well. Folks, there's nothing you've done behind closed doors there's nothing you've done in the dark. There's nothing you've done in secret that Jesus isn't fully aware of. Now, the implications for that are huge because what that means for each of us is the implications are there's no fear, there's no shame, there's no rejection. There's nothing that in your past that's going to shock Jesus. There's nothing in your past that's going to turn Jesus away from you. You have no reason not to embrace him because he knows all about you and he's still calling you to himself. And so don't forget as you follow Jesus, he understands the bad decisions you've made. He understands the things that cause you embarrassment and uh, your greatest failures. He knows all that, but he goes beyond all that and still calls you to himself. It means we don't have to hesitate. Last thing I want you to see is this. Truth number five, that Jesus will reveal to you far more than you anticipate. You're looking for marriage help. You're looking for a cure for anxiety. You're looking for a cure from cancer. You're looking for friends. You're looking for whatever. But Jesus will reveal to you far more than you anticipate. Look at what he goes on to say, verse 50. Jesus asked him, do you believe this because I told you I had seen you under the fig tree? I will... 
He said, you will see greater things than this. Then he said, I tell you the truth, you will all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man. And he was referring to himself. Son of Man was Christ's favorite uh, title to give himself. He goes, you will see the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. And so long before Led Zeppelin made this the greatest song ever, okay, Jesus was saying, what? I am the stairway to heaven. I am the connection between heaven and earth. And so he says, you're impressed because I I saw you sitting under a fig tree. He he said, I'll tell you this, you're going to see greater things that are going to blow your mind. And you know what the greater things that he's referring to? I think what he's referring to is the miracles that he was about to perform. In the Gospel of John, chapters 2 through 12, there's seven miracles that John features. He calls them signs. And these signs prove that Jesus is who he claimed to be. And those miracles involved everything from turning water in the wine to multiplying bread and fish to, to healing blind men to ultimately raising the dead. And so Jesus said, you think you're impressed with this? I'm going to blow your mind in the coming days. The things you're going to see are way greater than this. But he ultimately said, I'll tell you what, you're going to see a revelation from God unlike you've ever seen before. And that stairway, the heaven thing that he's referring to, angels coming up and down, Jesus was referring a story in the Old Testament with Jacob in Genesis chapter 28, where uh, Jacob fell asleep, this great man of God, this patriarch of Israel. And he, he had this vision, he had this dream of a stairway and a, or a ladder, and angels were, were coming up and going back and forth. And Jesus said, uh, you're going to see that I'm the connecting point between heaven and earth. And you're going to see angels coming down and coming back up because of me. And I am the ultimate revelation of God. And so that's the point Jesus is making here, that Jesus is saying, I am the complete revelation of God. I am the connection between heaven and earth. And so whatever you thought you were going to get from following me, I'm going to blow your mind and it's going to go way beyond your original expectations. So I want to wrap up our time with two action steps. And here's what I'm going to ask from you. I'm going to ask you to do one of these two action steps. You choose. Pick one of them. I'm going to ask you to do it. Now, if you're an overachiever and you want to do both, I'm not going to argue with you, okay? But all I'm asking for is for you to do one. Here's the first possible action step I want you to take. I want you to thank whoever brought you to Christ. In other words, who was your Andrew? Who tapped you on the shoulder and said, hey, I want to introduce you to Jesus? They might have invited you to Sunday school, to church. They might have had an in-depth conversation with you over lunch. But who was the instrumental person? It might have been a parent, might have been a teacher, might have been a coach, might have been a neighbor, might have been a friend, might have been a roommate. But who was it that was instrumental in bringing you to Christ? And make contact with them if you can and just say thanks. You know what I did this past week? This past week, I got on the Google machine and I tracked down Sandy Cope's phone number. And I called her out of the blue and her and her husband are retired. They, they live in a, in, in a little condo in a tiny little town in Michigan. And I said, Mrs. Cope, I, I don't know if you remember me. I'm Dave Corlew. And she did remember me. 
And we talked for about 15 minutes. And I said, Mrs. Cope, I just want to thank you for bringing me Oh, that came out of nowhere. (laughs) Um, I want to thank you for bringing me to Jesus. And it made her day. Those were her words, not mine. (laughs) It made her weak. Just reaching out and saying thanks. And now we exchanged email addresses. We exchanged phone numbers. Now we're friends on Facebook. So, you know, we're really friends, right? (laughs) You know, and... We made that reconnection, and it was such an honor to be able to thank her. And I want to encourage you, who is your Andrew? Track him down and say thank you within the next day or two. Could you do that? The other action step is this. The other action step is this. Share your story. Invite someone to church. In other words, be an Andrew for someone else. Do you have a family member, a neighbor, a coworker, a classmate that need to be introduced to Jesus? Could you do that by inviting them to youth group? by inviting them to church, by having a conversation with them, by telling them part of your story? Now that step might be a little bit harder than the first step, isn't it? Maybe, maybe not. But I want to challenge you to either track down your Andrew or intentionally be an Andrew for someone else, all right? I hope you'll do at least one of those two things. So let's stand and let's sing.